0: My name. I'm just gonna pretend like starting <laughs> over. Welcome to Golden Gray. It's <laughs> telling the stories of Asian Americans from the gold <laughs> rush to the gold open. Nailed it. Take seven. Let's go.
1: Oh gosh. Let's go.
0: um If you haven't listened to a single episode, <laughs> tuning in now. It's a good time because we are fully in 2020 mode. Um, my name is Josh. Long's on the other line long
1: what's up i'm I'm eating a snickers right now it's uh what starves off hunger based on the advertisement
0: so yeah the the good thing for like folks listening to like the podcast version of this is that you missed like the the pre like hungry version of us where oh i I won't tell you what happened you can just kind of imagine it in your mind um this is the real podcast yes this
1: is what the real stuff what comes down on this live
0: nothing came before nothing will come after it's just the golden great of of it all right now
1: yes let's get started shall we
0: i mean i guess if you want
1: i guess i guess but so we're, but we're, gonna,
0: uh, use, go we're, just, we're gonna use this time to just try to unpack this completely bonkers I was about to say bonkers live stream, which is also accurate, but this really bonkers year and and how we were honestly able to to survive it all. Um, you know, Long and I were talking the other day about just that fact that we don't really acknowledge that we 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 are still living through a global pandemic, and like even as we are recording this, I mean, we're we're already you know we're going back to same levels of covid cases as you we were in march like the past nine months have never happened and we are still trying to figure out like what is going to happen with uh the, the passing over from president 45 to president 46 and like all of this crazy stuff um long how are you just like feeling right now in this moment i guess Um,
1: personally for me on a, on
0: a wednesday night you know
1: I mean, it's been all right. I mean, you have to scale back at the recenter of looking at the surroundings. Now, overall, yes, it's been poopy, but I think realizing how far we've gone, how far we have survived, and the mental and physical, emotional anguish we've been going through, I think we're doing fine. But, you know, there's a lot of other people, probably not as fortunate as others yeah. and they go through these hard times with job loss and stuff, but you know, um, but we we'll, let's actually go way back and kind of talk about when this like this year started, you know, we had like what hopes did you have coming into 2020?
0: No, I Josh. I fully believed 2020 was gonna be not just my year, it was gonna be America's year. It's gonna be collabs year and then you know i think then two days later people were talking about like i think world war three was trending on twitter and (laughs) i I was still just kind of taking a deep breath i was like it's fine i I think that that change happens in in small and it's only january 3rd what could go wrong um (laughs) which is which is funny because i had always told myself that if you say what could go wrong murphy's murphy's law um yeah but yeah, I just I came in really optimistically. Um, i I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but I have like this I don't know. i my my gut instinct is like literally like a gut instinct. And so I always get like these physical reactions in my stomach. and maybe that's just because I have a lot of stomach aches. But also, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I always get like certain feelings. And at the beginning of every year, I always have like a, a physical gut instinct of how I think the year is going to go. And I don't know. I feel like my gut is, with the exception of 2020, kind of like a, a Groundhog Day kind of thing, because it's never really let me down uh, until this year. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I was just having a bunch of conversations with friends, um, just asking if... Anyone actually had memories from January and February? Because I, I have thought about it, and I, I don't know what I can really point to beyond uh, February 29th. ninth. Uh, that was our onboarding for the newest folks who joined our Collab SF team. Uh, we all got to meet up and do our orientation, team building stuff, and went out for, uh, for dinner and drinks afterward. And that was my last meal out before uh everything everything changed so i i i'm just curious for you long do you have any are there any memories that come to mind from january february or is that just seven years ago now
1: no so i i can remember back then like for me i heard about they were calling it the wuhan virus right back in like december and you know i knowing our healthcare in the United States. I was like, if this comes over, this is not gonna be good. And like, I kind of had that back in my head a little bit. Um, and being in, in San Francisco, I think we were alerted. We were more actively aware of it. I think in February we went in, in a certain bread alert of like noticing it there. So it was solely Kind of like trickling in to my psyche that this might happen. Um, so, when, and also I had a really terrible last year, I was really I had a lot of um health problems coming in, so um, not that I was saying like I was expecting it even worse from January, but I just like needed um, I, my mind was just different. I wasn't expecting twenty twenty to wash it away, but um, I think it started getting surreal when things started closing down a bit, like the country started being more aware, started being talking about it more, and then I remember the pinnacle point of when the NBA—I remember precisely—the Utah Jazz, a few players tested positive, and then um, it just went downhill, and I remember. Right away, because I I lived through the recession in 2008, and that caught me up blindsided. So I was kind of ready for something like this. I signed up for unemployment, got in there right away. I knew we were going to get hit. And I think one of the hardest things that we had club in power coming up, Um, and I was hoping like that wouldn't get shut down. I wanted to meet a few new people in LA and stuff. And then... didn't happen so that was probably my biggest heartbreak there's a couple of writers that were supposed to fly into san francisco for their book launches and stuff that didn't happen um so yeah it was tough in the beginning i was ready in that sense of like getting my money ready sheltering down um i spotted a japanese grocery store that like there's no lines for because remember the toilet paper thing
0: Yeah. The, the,
1: yes. That was the thing remember that? That was crazy. The toilet paper. Thing. Just as,
0: as you're like describing all of this. I it you're bringing it back and it's when I reflect back on it it, it really feels like a whole I don't know time just works so differently. Yeah. Sure. Do you remember um, that toilet I,
1: paper thing? Like was that a concern for you?
0: I mean not not really. I mean my my coworker, I remember he ran out. And uh, he couldn't find it anywhere, and so he actually, I think, he he got the suggestion from from me and my other Asian coworker to to go and uh, to go to the Asian grocery stores, and he found he found a couple rolls there, um, which you know I don't know what that says about. It, but
1: <laughs> I don't understand why people just didn't take a shower. Or they poo. Why were they so scared about toilet paper? That's just something I don't get. I remember there there was some psychology papers saying, like, when they're, you're in a, a fear, you're going to do irrational things. And, like, if you see something running out, you're going to buy it. And I, I remember... That's that was- the thing, like, what? psychologists or, I don't know, whoever
0: tracks, like, shopping purchases, they said that if we had just stuck to buying food at normal levels, we wouldn't have the shortages that we ended up having spring, and it's because of like the fear of not having enough and all these things um where there were these disruptions in the supply chain because we we created, we created it.
1: yeah, it was so ridiculous. I just didn't understand that. And, um, I live next to a grocery store, and so this is terrible. There's these poor families and like scared people buying droves and droves of like food. And here I am in my tank top and like flip-flops. I have like a bottle of whiskey and ice cream <laughs> <laughs> because I always go down to the store every day. And it was like a very surreal thing.
0: Um, I remember just trying to figure out how to transition collaboration because our our organization is in-person workshops and showcases and hangouts. Like that is our, our bread and butter. And I I was in India, so I wasn't here. Um, That's right. Yeah. You were in India. So I, like... I, I was working um, at an orphanage. And, uh, you know, I there's that one spot on the top of the mountain where I get Wi-Fi uh, or whatever, Indian data. And um, I was just trying to figure out what was going on. Um, obviously, collab was just like one worry in addition to like my family and friends and, and work and everything else. But I was like, what, what are we going to do? And I just you know, the the story of getting back is its own podcast, but on, you know, the many routes that I had to take to get back, I was thinking about what do we even look like going forward? And I remember the the big thing coming out of it was, how are we going to do anything that we wanted to do? Um, And, you know, obviously that's like a, a smaller worry, like collaboration you know, we do our best to to support and empower artists. Um, but it just felt like there were so many other really terrible things going on in the world. And it was just so overwhelming of figuring out how to respond to not just our, our collab situation, but like, you know, people, people were losing their jobs and in some cases getting kicked out of their homes. And we had, uh, the, the China virus rhetoric being thrown around, especially um, then. So this is
1: more like in April, right? So it gave more time stamp for people to remember.
0: Yeah. And so moving into that second month, um, there's a lot of conversations, especially um, between some of the the older people who had been in collab and some of the newer staff on what exactly we were going to do. And I think we wanted to help, but it was just hard to know what what we could do, what what part we could play when everything seemed so overwhelming and when people I mean that was the point where people were were literally 100 percent stuck inside their homes and we were on lockdown. Remember what that time was like for you of just like those first couple weeks.
1: So for me, that's the first vacation I had for in eight years from personal training. So I was just kind of like, all right, this is good. Um but when it came to collab it was kind of this like weird like you you had to we had to show we're not nervous right for the the new staff and it's just like right well you know while we're figuring this stuff out you just need to concentrate on this but we had we had to show face and literally be on point not knowing what's going to happen and i think we, I think we started trying to talk about how to give resources to the people. Like, how how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to like hit head on about like strategies and how to like, you know, um, talk about it head on? Are we going to just provide more entertainment and stuff like that? And obviously, we get more into like trying to give resources, and I think the first couple weeks was interesting. I think online, like, a lot of people were trying to, like, give high hopes, and there was a lot of um, last-minute, like, um, rants giving out for the arts and stuff like that, people reaching out. Personally, for me, when I was, like, trying to...
0: sourdough bread for the first time.
1: I don't think, I don't know, sourdough bread wasn't coming around yet. It was very, like, very fresh still and so
0: maybe still in like older people join tiktok face.
1: yeah i mean this is i think that okay. the bread stuff started coming the animal crossing like around that time i think what's
0: i mean i feel like we need like a csi board to like put together the timeline <laughs> right like when was animal crossing
1: no but I, I feel that the the bread when i it was gonna be oh this is gonna be the long haul it's just and they're like, oh, shoot, my insecurities and feelings coming out. Bread. We're going to go into bread. We're going to make bread. I don't want to face any of my problems at all. But no, the the first month, I think people were trying to cheer each other up, having high hopes and stuff. But um, April. But then May, that's when I think the bread started coming in. And just kind of like, all right, let's just try to make the best of this.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that that point is really important, I think, of there was that zone where everyone is in lockdown and everyone starts, um, you know, their social media posts about, like, I want to use this time to better myself and I'm going to start exercising and I don't know, whatever people do and for personal change and self-development, whatever. Um, I remember for me, like, coming back, first week you know you you talked about how uh for some of the older people on the collab team um of making sure that we kind of held it all together for uh the new recruits who had just joined and i think those first couple days coming back i basically just in a loop of um watching watching tv watching like updates on covid uh going to work and sleeping and i was confined to to this very room um, and you know, I, I, I think I would try to reflect on like what had been happening to me and, um, honestly, what had been happening to so many of my friends, I I, I felt like I, I couldn't again, going back to, um, my physical gut feelings, I just I felt it again in my stomach of, I, I just didn't want to have to process because I, I knew that going through that journey was not going to be easy. And I just, I was, I went for, you know, sugary stuff or like the higher cow version. Um, and so, you know, I, in thinking about, about collab and what we were trying to do, um, uh, coming into this year, we, we had a whole plan for this year. Um, We had a calendar, we had a bunch of events that we were already starting to plan out. And as soon as shutdown happened and and I got back, we, uh, I remember we hopped on a Zoom and we spent probably an hour and a half just like checking in on each other to make sure that we were all okay. And uh, immediately scrapped anything and everything that we had planned. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know what that experience was like for for the new recruits and i you know, i wonder what they thought of like if we they thought we knew what we were doing or not but um was it's it was new territory for all of us um
1: yeah we went project based and try to just have like these let's just do work on this project now that project now but it was definitely like this like let's just focus on this first before is it gone yet? No. Okay. Let's do this project. Is COVID gone yet? No. Okay. Let's kind of go. And then what point for you, Josh, did you feel like, oh, we're in it for a long haul. This is not leaving for a while.
0: I mean, I think you described it really well. I think early on with collab and honestly, I think with the rest of my life too, it was this, this kind of wait and see approach of, okay, we'll we'll, we'll do this project and maybe once we're done. No. Oh, okay. Right, I'll start this new project. And uh, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna organize it. We're gonna
1: oh,
0: and lock down for another couple of weeks. And I, I think for me, um, it was, was maybe seeing like a video of of Dr. Fauci or, or something and understanding <laughs> like the public health elements, right, of how, how much and how little was in our control in that we technically had the capacity to contain the virus. And yet with the decisions of, you know, just the entire country of just the way that our population decided to handle it and our and our, and our leaders, um, the disease was gonna go unchecked in a way different than you know, a lot of other countries. And I think understanding that reality was something I, again, chose, chose to bury. I knew that I would have to unearth it eventually, but I think it was like a, like coming up with projects. It was just a project that I could, I could save for later.
1: And a good segue is our podcast, our theme, and then how that kept morphing. Right? Yeah, around the time play. we had our podcast,
0: this, and I think uh, you know, for for everyone who's who's listened along this season, um, you can definitely see, honestly, an evolution of how the the country has has responded, um, and how we felt we needed or what conversations we felt we needed to have. Um, you no, know, uh, we we had our our season topic planned out, uh, last fall. And it was go back where we came from. And the goal was that we were going to um, look at that slur and take it literally and interrogate how our cultural, family, personal histories, how all of it had affected and shaped our story and our craft. And we had no idea that the slur would <laughs> be literally thrown out um by by some of our our leaders. And I th-
1: and a lot of Bay Area native people were calling Asian people like that phrase, like Chinatown. Th- it became was
0: like this, this ghost town. No, there was no evidence that you know the virus was coming from there.
1: But yeah, it was like that was the craziest thing. It's like okay, there's a Wuhan virus. That's what they called back then. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna avoid Chinatown, which most of these people usually can't afford flights to go back to China anyways. But for some reason, I'm gonna avoid Chinatown because they would have it. Not the airport, not tourists that can travel to China and come back as Americans. No, specifically China. And not only that, I'm gonna tell them to go back where they live. I came from. Crazy racist. So them. And so what was funny when we started recording we're like, oh shoot! We have sound clips of people actually saying, "Go back to where you came from," right?
0: Um, and I I think it made the theme really resonant in in both interesting as well as often deeply uncomfortable ways. Um, you know, we started off API month, and and by the end, uh, the nation was was responding and reacting to. George floyd's murder uh the movement for black lives especially uh kicked into national air then and i think that was you know a, another huge moment obviously not just for the country but for for the asian american community in um ways that we responded and didn't respond
1: can i ask you something um, josh and you- yeah. For you, can you look back at that month? Or you? Could, you're, are you? Do you have problems still thinking about that month in general?
0: Are we talking? Are are we moving to summer now?
1: No, 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 When George Floyd happened, like in May. Do
0: I remember like the month?
1: Yeah. Do you remember the month? Do you remember specifically, like, or is it just something that happened and like you're still having pro- problems processing it?
0: Uh, I mean. I honestly don't really think anything from the API month element really stuck, even though there's there's a lot of great work that, that I know we did. It just has really left my memory compared to um, the way that I remember
1: seeing people respond to the video. You, you, I guess you don't remember. Remember the woman that called the cops on that guy? It was bird watching. She had her dog.
0: Oh remember
1: that? Cooper.
0: Huh. I mean you gotta remember, you know, that's what they're, happened. They're they're in here somewhere. You just gotta you gotta unearth a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: so remember like that week we had that woman, Af- Cooper, I guess. Like she called, like she was like, that guy's threatening me. I'm gonna say you're specifically African American. Right. And then like the nation was just like, you know, I think if anything, if your hobby is cancel culture, you had a lot to work with. You know, so like Twitter was just on it, on it, right? And then like same week, then George Floyd happened. That was like terrible. I just remember distinctly. And then I remember, this is when I started getting nervous when riots started erupting and they burned down the, the police precinct. Like in my, I never thought in my lifetime that, Americans would be so upset, they would burn down a precinct. I was—that was the first time in life I was kind of afraid. I thought the cops were going to retaliate like ten times as hard with a strict hand of just show dominance. I was—that's when I was like, "Oh shoot, this is going to be some terrible things happening." And then, like, to see. I mean, I haven't seen that kind of protest since the the women's march, but that was like some grand uprising that came out. And I was—I'm usually not shocked about things, but that I never, to this day, like it—that was a grand thing that happened.
0: Uh, I think you know, there's still lot that our community has to to really work through and um honestly i i was really surprised um by by the way i think the api community showed up um i mean you know there's there's all the stats we could talk through about like how it was you know the most diverse whatever when it comes to to um protesting and people getting involved in in the movement and i think at the same time there there's still there was and and is still a, a reluctance to talk about how to address anti-blackness in our community and what that is going to look like going forward i think it was the beginning of really good conversations and um again i you know it, it's kind of bring it back to the way that that i reacted to a lot of uh early events with with COVID of of knowing that it was a problem that it was something that i would have to work through at the same time um making a choice i would say partly conscious but also partly unconscious that i that i could push it back i could fully unpack and have that conversation later and um I don't know. I feel like we're we're kind of in that mode where I, I think a lot of us have started those conversations and there's still a lot who just feels really difficult especially when we're getting into um you know how how people have, you know, maybe people have really negative relationships with other other people of color whether it's black folks or, or brown folks and and you know that we're we're getting into really really naughty stuff. But, um, I think it really unearthed those complexities this year, and it's going to take obviously a long time to continue to process them. I know that long you you have just uh, a lot that you've been able to start working through in your writing. What was the writing process like for you, especially summer and having those conversations unpacking for yourself?
1: writing was tough writing i mean there so i remember the writing community was joking i was like oh shakespeare wrote during the plague so we can knock out a novel right all you have to do is sit and just write but a lot of the people i looked up to it disappeared off the line like i could never contact them again um that was kind of getting scary and then I think like June and July were really tough for me because all the people I looked up to in the community I had tried to build for writing was just gone and like I would just text a few of my writing friends and stuff and they just weren't responding and I w- I didn't take it personally but it's just how things were going um and like, I was trying to work out this essay about um, people who get, like, humans, what happens when we get lost, is that humans cannot walk a straight line. It's like, so if they're in a the forest, they inadvertently always walk in a circle. This is something in our DNA, always do that. And so, and especially when we start getting lost, like, when we feel that we're, like, stranded, or, like, I don't know where we are, we panic. And instead of just sitting still and waiting for help to come, like, we just run. And I think that's like a good analogy of what's going on. Especially, we don't see any light in the tunnel. We don't know what things going on. And I try to, I, I try to really force myself to write, and there is just nothing coming out. It was a tough thing, but the unpacking finally came about later, um, kind of like near couple, just recently. Um, I think the election helped kind of bring people to have a focus again and having something rooted. But I think in the summer, it was just so sporadic of just even reaching out to anyone. But my unpacking, I think I needed some distance in a way um, to really understand how it affected me. I think for me, I was very angry. Um, and I've said, I think a lot of times on this podcast and a lot of my writing that I didn't grow up in a predominantly Asian community. And um, I was very close to the African-American community because like in Fresno, we they segregated a lot of like Southeast Asian people with African-Americans. And so um, I reached out to some of my African-American friends and see how they're doing stuff. And they knew I it came from a place where I knew their struggle. And they' were the first people to actually talk about what's going on and stuff, and that felt good and validating. But there was, yeah, I personally still had a lot of anger towards you know the Asian diaspora of there could have been so much more to be done to help the other side. And especially, you know, I think, I'm sorry, Josh, like you're having a hard time, like. Unpacking stuff, but I'm unpacking more than you have. But you know, you gotta remember too. There's an officer who was, the monk. I forget his name. I don't want to remember his name. But he was there, not helping out. And like, I think Hassan on his show Patriot, he was just saying like, yes, like, now people call the cops on him, the Asian officer. No one came in and help and stuff. And like, I remember even Twitter was just saying like. Like, what do we come to a point in society where we just sit and just record on our cell phone and not even intervene? Like, that's the crazy thing. But, no, I, it it is, it is a lot to unpack. And I, I personally have to be more sensitive of making sure, like, not starting that conversation where people aren't ready to unpack that yet. But it was, it was tough. And, but it's necessary, especially, um, how we strengthen as a community and how moving forward of dismissing what's going on, or not dismissing, what I'm saying, Um, trying to break down this establishment that keeps it up. But like, you know, the the good thing that came out, like we found like the phrase, I never heard this phrase before, defunding the police. That's become a big catchphrase and strengthen with the black lives matter movement and that's moving forward and stuff and that's still kind of a thing moving in right
0: and you know to touch on um your point on that feeling of disappointment um i i think this year especially it's always like i felt like a lot of feelings at the same time and i think with my disappointment there was also uh a good amount of hope which i which I, I don't know it sounds like discongruous but um you know i i i remember marching uh when michael brown was killed and i remember looking out uh over over the crown in oakland and you know there's you know probably probably 10,000 people in that group and i barely saw any other asians in that group and I remember that feeling, um, being angry that um, people weren't noticing or didn't seem to care, or like all, all of these things. And um, there's there's still so much work to be done, but I think something that did give me a little bit of hope this summer was, I have never had as many conversations about racial injustice and uh, police brutality, and terms, um, like key terms, um, as yeah, ever, ever. And me not even uh, being prompted most of the time. Uh, And and people who I never necessarily would have thought would be the one to to bring up and want to have a conversation about what being in solidarity looks like, or what it means to be an ally. And you know for for all the work that there still is to do, I think there was a little bit of hope in that that a lot of people's uh, hands and hearts were at least opened. Many of them have been continuing to put in the work, even if it's in ways that aren't, you know, as as noticeable as as the marches this summer and that are still ongoing.
1: Um, I hold both of those, I think, the the disappointment and the hope. How do you feel about the corporations holding on to Black Lives Matter? I think one of the things that shocked me was corporations acknowledging that word and just, like, you know, siding with that, you know, like, very unap- unapologetic. That was, that was shocking to me. I'm pretty jaded person to like I see like JCPenney or not JCP like you know Target say was well, like ah they're just doing it for money but like people were like no we're side this I remember like a website like GameSpot they they changed their front page about like Black Lives Matter and had all the articles that had all African American people as writers writing for the website and just like being full in and stuff and that was crazy for me
0: yeah no i'm i'm with you i think it really just shows the power i think that the movement really had and especially knowing how to affect corporations and other like lo- like governmental entities for bigger bigger change and like looking to like how are we going to spend our money and using that as a form of activism and getting uh corporations to uh donate hundreds of millions of dollars to to black causes and organizations. Like I, I don't think that would have happened unless there was really intentional and structured effort to make that happen. And I think the the past couple of years, decades we really have been building up to that as you know we're we're learning how to to better organize and understand like what what gets people's attention. And I think, you know, now as we are moving into talking about the fall, um, what I'm seeing is the importance of continuing to do those things, to be intentional and to think about things, not just from what you can do, um, but what like the, the organizations or the companies that you're a part of can do. Um, because I think there's a lot of power when, when both are activated. And the organizational piece is going to happen unless you are, are you know, are continuing to push.
1: Josh, being an executive director, what's going through your head when you had to address it to our staff? I remember that, though. But I want to know what your thoughts were when you were like, all right, we got to talk about this.
0: Um, I, knew, I knew that we were obviously going to talk about it and needed to and i wanted to think about the way that was going to have the best reaction when it came to honestly like to, to hearts and minds um which sounds like kind of cheesy but i i think the way that i think about um change is that there has to be the action that follows along with the moving of of hearts and minds, and so I remember. I don't think I've I've worked harder before beforehand of like making sure that every element of how I wanted that meeting to go. Um, I, I knew that I couldn't control like what the conversation was going to be, when I, but I wanted to make it as safe a space for people to be honest because I I didn't think that you know, what what we were hoping for and having these conversations could happen in any other way. I think I, I needed to have a um, temperature check and I needed everyone to be very honest about what experiences they were bringing to the table um, because I knew that, you know, some some people were really further along in, in their work for racial injustice and for others, it was some, a completely new term and they didn't know anything. And I didn't want, people who didn't know anything to feel feel like there wasn't a role for them in this. I didn't want the people who um, had been waiting for years to have these conversations, I didn't want them to feel like we were putting the training wheels on. And so I think my goal was starting from where everyone was at, and then being really, really clear and specific, again, of what steps we're going to take. I didn't want to pay lip service. I didn't want to, um, you know, put on a show. You're um, we gonna have to do it right. And I I, <laughs> I didn't know, you know, how how difficult it was going to be. Um, maybe that I had to start there. And so I'm curious what those conversations for you um looked like even just outside of collab with, with all your friends and, and clients, where did you feel like people were more, I don't know, more, more, more willing, more, more honest? How did, how did that all go for you?
1: I mean, to give more context where I'm coming from, I, I was very young, but I remember Rodney King, like that was very in my childhood. All right. Um, I'm writing essay right now. Hopefully come out this Friday. Check the blog. <laughs> but um I my first year moving into the Bay Area was when Osiris Grant got shot. That was the BART station that I would take to get into San Francisco every day. And that you no, know, that right there at moment, like it still has hard feelings. I have hard feelings for. Her so to see a country still having African American people getting murdered time after time after time, like, and you know, we, San Francisco doesn't hire that many African American people. So when there's like one African American person for every seven months as a, at my job, you know, when we we have these things happen, I can look at them. They look at me, and they they know me enough. Like I I understand their struggle, and they don't. They look to me to make sure that like I recognize that this is a thing. But also, I'm not gonna like ask them stupid questions about like, oh, why is this such a big deal? Isn't it all lives matter and stuff? And back then, all lives matter was just like a dismiss- dismissive way to just say like. Oh, we're all people like it's now gravitates to this more hateful kind of rhetoric but um so by the time I think we had George Floyd and then that I actually no, I actually ducked out of that your meeting do you remember that
0: I mean you know <laughs> <It's>,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm like, just asking so, I'm just asking like I actually ducked out the meeting I was like I don't I don't want to get into this. I, I feel like i've I've lived through this so much, and i I don't want to I know you have a job to, to steer this team. But for me, because actually the the day after to, um, the riots and like the protesting started happening that Saturday, I just I just contacted a bunch of people and just, I put on, um, collaboration has like a message board on Facebook. I just put it out there. It like, Hey, y'all want to talk about this? Like, let's I'm here. Let's just talk about it. I'm gonna give you my two cents, but I want to provide a space. And like, we talked for like four or five, I think, yeah, you were there, Josh I was, like, it was there for four or five hours. And then after that, I texted all my, like. Like my my one of my favorite bosses that used to work at my gym, I texted her see how she's doing. She's African American, and I texted just some other people. My boy Barack, you know, he said exactly how he felt. I felt he's just like yeah, you know, Oscar Grant got shot, no one cared. So why do people care now? And just like he's like I I can I could feel comfortable telling you. It's is like why do we have to go through this again? And then I think for me it was like i've I've lived through this a lot, and I just was just tired. I didn't want to like have this conversation all over again to really explain what's going on and stuff and have to explain fruitvale station, explain favorvon Martin. I don't want to explain these things. so I myself was tired i I put myself away a little bit, and i I think that's you know
0: my one of my hopes for. Maybe the folks who are who are newer to to the movement and and wanting to be an ally, and like what you can do, um, and you've like scrolled through all the Instagram infographics, um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's so many, so many people, uh, especially especially black folks, and other other people of color. Just conversations are 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 so tiring and and repetitive, and I, <laughs> I don't know. I like what, one of my hopes is that for you know. The, the people that are that are coming into this and like wondering what you can do, to to have those conversations while while you have that energy and you know to keep moving is forward and and pushing pushing your you know your places of work and your communities um, to outline what change looks like and then to make it happen. I you know I I don't want us to just stop. At the okay great we had a we had a meeting and we're good um and you know i think that's why you know there was so much energy um going into the election and um you know obviously there's things that are weirdly being sorted out with that but um i don't know i i just wanted to close out this time long by by highlighting um you know some of the some of the wins happened with with representation. You know, this we're we're collaboration SF, and we talk about representation a lot. And um, you know, it's not like there weren't too too many too many things uh, when it came to representation this year. There's still a lot that we could we could speak of when it comes to um, Tiger Tail, and um, oh, I'm forgetting the name right now. But the 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 Mindy Kaling show on Netflix, uh, Never Have I Ever. And um, half of it, and all these things, we could always, you know, do another podcast about that. But um, you know, I think it's also important to talk about representation everywhere, and I think that's also important in in politics of how um, what experiences people are bringing um, to the table when it comes to making policy. And um, you know, I was talking about this with um, some of my students of color the other day of, you know, regardless or not, if you, if you voted for, for Kamala or not, um, there, there is something powerful to when a, a woman of color is suddenly, or just any person of color is in a new position, uh, a power that we hadn't necessarily seen before. It affects the way that, you know, especially, like, kids growing up, understand or perceive what something can be. And you know, the same is true with there's uh there's a there's a Hawaiian state senator, I think, who was elected to uh the state congress this year. Um he's he's by and he beat uh, a member of the Proud Boys. Um you know there's like the first Korean American woman going to uh Washington State Congress and I don't know they they may seem like like small wins but when people are seeing, um, people in positions that they weren't in before, uh, regardless of not, they voted for them. Like it, it suddenly, you know, opens up the possibilities of people can be.
1: I also want to highlight, I think, um, Asian American community, what I've seen is like, they, like the young vote, um, the organization like R.O. Kwan, shout out to her, she was very, very. Active, trying to get people to register. She was doing a lot of events, trying to. Um, what do you th- What do you call that when you get a bunch of people to text people to vote, register, vote, and check? That's a. Spanking. Like yeah, uh, Melissa Hong. shout out to her. She was the founder of Hyphen, and she she got the old gang back from 2018 of Asians Against Trumps, and then to do it again this year. And they worked really hard. Um, they had all these promos to have, like, real people, diasporas, like, to speak in Korean, to speak in Chinese, to speak in Japanese, like, about their experience of how, like, Trump has affected them. And they really helped and mobilized that moving like, the ball of getting people registered to vote and stuff like that. And I, like... I know that there are some people hoping the blue wave to come, but then there's other people that put in the work to like get that moving and to get people educated and get people to understand like when you mail your ballot, you can check to see if they got it. And then like I had to work with a client because he lives, he used to live in LA and his voting ballot was in LA and he in San Francisco now. And it turns out you can, there's, well 16 or 17 states that you can register on the day of and not every state can do that and there's all these these things that we need to understand and voting is should be easy and it's not easy especially with the pandemic going on like you have to check every single thing of like are is your address updated you know um are you know did you check your ballot? Did you mail it on time? Did you fill it up properly? And all these things and all these hardworking people have like worked on that and got that moving. And it shows like a lot of elbow grease goes and it dismiss a lot of myth about now Before you speak. Oh, half the country doesn't vote. And then like, there's this low key racism where like minorities don't vote. That's why you don't show up. And like now we see, Voting suppression happening. And like now we're seeing mobilization. I i think the young, young as in like 18 to 24 bracket, it's like they're very vig- vigilant and understanding, like, you know, we have to put in the work now. It's just not as binary as like, oh, just put it in, it's fine. Like, no, there's some hurdles to get through these things.
0: And yeah, I, again, I feel like that's a really great example of what it is to. Put in the work and go beyond. Just like I had a conversation. Um, I I had pulled up a couple stats about uh turnout for API participation, and um, I'm just reading a tweet from Tom Bonier. it says 19% more Asian voters cast a ballot in the early vote than the entirety of four years ago. Uh, five percent cast a ballot than voted in the entirety of 2016, and in every single battleground state. Asian voters had the largest percent increase in votes cast compared to four years ago than any other group. But I mean, you know, they're still counting in Georgia and now they're talking about like hand counting all the votes, but, um, Georgia's Georgia seventh, which, uh, there's like Duluth. And I think our, you know, shout out to our kind Cal- of uh, collab Atlanta folks out there, but 41% of Asian American voters were people that voted for the first time. And, Again, it's because there were people that did not just sit back but really invested in the work. Um, you know, like with Aroquan of of text banking and and people knocking on doors and like all these things. And so I, I think that is, you know, what I'm hoping to see more of, of, you know, it's it's great that conversations are happening. How are we following those conversations up? And so, you know, I guess that kind of takes us into where we are going next. And so obviously we're we're taking a little break from the podcast as we always do during this time of year. We'll be back in 2021. But Long, for you as we're closing out, moving towards the holidays, um, what's, what's just one fear um, but also one hope that you have for next
1: year? I mean... Years a numeric number, we're still gonna have a pandemic to deal with, but we we have a plan because we have a new change of administration. So there's a different variable for that. Um, I feel that we have a new set of tools to work with coming in next year that we can feeling less helpless. So it's not necessarily hope or fear, but just like we have a different variable we can deal with next year with the new administration.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, before I share mine, just a reminder at Collab, we don't endorse candidates. Our our job is to speak about what what the Asian American community is is going through and what representation looks like. And um I think that is that is one of my fears.
1: <laughs> I wasn't endorsing anything. i just saying there's a change. No, there's, no, no, no. It's just something I, different just <laughs> from, from this entire
0: conversation that we're having. But um, yeah, I think that is my fear at um, all of all of the work got put into this year, and despite uh, a global pandemic and and all of these things, and you know. Um, so many people are struggling with with, with mental health and, and homelessness and substance abuse and like so many things. And, and still, um, just saw so much work being done and, and being noticed. Um, And I think that's, that's one big change. And my fear is that moving into next year, um, we rest on our laurels more than we should. Um, I think there's 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 merit to to taking a break and you know enjoying um, your your Christmas hammer like whatever you're going to be doing in the next couple of months, but at the same time gearing up for and more more work uh, next year whether that's uh, continuing to talk to um, older older folks in the community to um, your friends about noticing and acknowledging um the anti-blackness that that is still rampant and running in our communities. Um, it means, you know, pressing forward with the work of continuing to to register voters um, to also to make projects that get seen. You know, this on the media, everything's about like there's these two parallel narratives of how americans are are seeing the world after the election. and I think that the, the part that scares me is that, you know, some portion of the country we are not seeing us as as human beings, um, and it just really gets at again just how how important representation is. I I think, you know, especially as an organization that that runs on it and you know empowerment through entertainment um sometimes it becomes almost almost trite or something that we take for granted but for people to to see us and understand that our our problems that are you know we, we, being Asian American and being in the APIDA community like there's so much differentiation to that that goes unnoticed and how um Southeast Asians and South Asians are often left out of a lot of conversations when talking about Asian American identity. And so to have a reality where people are able to see us in their media narrative is just going to be so important. Um, I think my hope, though, um, and, you know, I I don't want to be morbid, but there was there's one stat that I remember from earlier this year, Niners lost the Super Bowl, and it was not a great time. And I remember seeing an article in April, um, like some health journal or whatever, and they measured what would have happened if the Niners had had won and they'd had a victory parade and um, basically would have been a super spreader event. COVID was more in San Francisco than it was in Kansas City. And so the way Super Bowl ended up working out Um, as awful as it was to lose lives were probably saved and I don't want to put a spin on 2020 and say like yeah well it's you know but it's all gonna work out (laughs) but I think my, my hope is that as awful as this year and this time was um there's just a lot a lot of a lot that we we are taking away from this year, and I'm hoping that more of it is is good and and hopeful and changeworthy, um, not. And if nothing else, I'm hoping that that's what 2021 might be.
1: 2021, it's gonna be like, oh, I gotta thicken your skin. It's gonna be one of those like, all right. Well, once we get out of this, I think we're going to have a different level of empathy. I hope so. Like, um, I hope we have understanding of what's really important to us. I think there's going to be a lot of reflection. Like, was it worth spending all those countless nights working for your job? And to further into something that's just like a status, you know? Um, I think a lot of people this year that, that earned that certain bracket, like they couldn't travel, they couldn't go on vacation, um, what's what's really important to them. Um, and then we're gonna look at like how our relationships were, like how important they were, like especially in the pandemic where we're not seeing our friends and are we gonna, you know, You know, there used to be a joke about San Francisco. We're all flaky people. Like, I'm curious to see if people are going to start flaking next year. I'm like, everyone's going to commit to, like, beating up with everyone. There's this little, like, small wins and, like, appreciations we're going to have, like, once we get out and, like, start getting back into this, like, normal routine. And, like, hopefully um, people can, like... Have a good reflection, like of getting something more healthier and of a job, a relationship, friendships, or even living situation of like you know, I think i've I've met some people this year of like taking their dream opportunity to live on a farm, getting away from the city, and like doing stuff like that too. Um, so there's little granular things we have to like, Use this opportunity, to, like reset, and like what's really important for us.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I don't think my my gut check was wrong. <laughs> I think, like you said, small small wins. Um, I think that about wraps it up for this first and great live. Um, to- I do want to
1: say one thing though.
0: Just kidding. Close it out. One
1: thing, man, I've been banging, buying banging-ass masks, so I'm gonna be stunned so hard next year <laughs> with all my masks. I bought the Sandra O oh mask from the Oscars, it's like a, it's the, uh, it says Black Lives Matter in Korean, so, and I bought, like, Spider-Man masks and stuff. I was like, man, I'm just surprised since people are not leaning into the mask thing. I'm I'm loving it. So,
0: stay tuned to Twitch
1: <laughs> on, the, on the masks.
0: Um, I was hoping that like oh and also just again just thank you to our listeners and folks that are on Twitch that are also watching this live um, we appreciate you this year would not have been possible without our our staff who completely worked remotely and um, you know uh, although we missed all of our community hangouts at the max the works everything um, still a lot of work again that that we're doing, and I appreciate all the time that we're we're spending towards really all of what we talked about tonight. Um, so I was hoping that while I read the credits, you could dance just like you know. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> for the final time for season two, you can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreatatcollaboration.org. Uh, This episode was mixed and edited by Adrian Chen and Alan Shia. Our associate producer is Michelle Avieta. Our supervising producer is The Dancing, Long Vo. Um, Our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Gu. And you can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygemusic.com. Check it out. Um, Josh. Long And we'll see you soon with more stories of the golden grape. Should we say like that, like the stay golden thing? Should we, can we say it at the same time on Twitch? I don't know. Should we try it? Ready? Okay.
1: So we're going to like say stay. And then once we start syncing together and then we drop the golden. Ready? Okay. Stay, stay golden. Stay golden. Oh, was, there's a like. Definitely not. We'll try again in 2021. Big yeah, we'll yeah. show.